Chuckin' It From The Cheap Seats is the newest podcast covering Indiana high school basketball. Head coach Josh Thompson interviews some of the most impactful people who make Hoosier hysteria great. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Subscribe to Chuckin' It From The Cheap Seats wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to Checking It From The Cheap Seats. We are back from summer break with a new group of students in the Bari Media class, and we are pleased to bring you this week's guest, Greg Tonigal, the head coach at Indiana Wesleyan University, where he has amassed a college coaching career now almost 20 years including three national championships in 2014, 2016, and 2018. We are so blessed this week to have Coach Tonigal on with us, and we are excited to be back bringing you the Checking the Cheap Seats podcast each and every week. We hope you can continue to join us. We're excited to bring it to you. Hope you enjoy this week. Checking it from the Cheap Seats is brought to you by Shootaway. Offering products like 12K series guns proven by time and again by the nation's top school and college coaches slash programs. For special pricing discounts, contact Bruce Helt at 317-767-5543 or go to shootaway.com. For over 32 years, D1 Basketball has offered elite basketball camps and top-tier player development programs. Team camps, individual skills camps, shooting camps, we improve performance, period. Few Indiana basketball camps impact performance like D1 basketball. Since 1989, annual enrollment in D1 basketball has grown from 80 to 3,500 players, making it one of the largest independent basketball organizations in the Midwest. The mission of D1 basketball is to help coaches and players maximize their performance. D1 basketball facts. D1 basketball camps are exclusively endorsed by the Indiana Basketball Coaches Association. D1 team camps has hosted more sectional championship teams, Final Four teams, and Indiana All-Stars than any other camp, shootout, or summer tournament. D1 team camps provide the best chance for a school's coach to work with all their teams against top-flight competition from throughout the Midwest. Well, guess we are... Pleased to be joined today by Coach, by coach Greg Tonigal, the head coach at Indiana Wesleyan. He's a guy that ne- really needs no introduction. Um, uh, but I've really gotten to know Greg a lot here over the last four to five years since I've come to Bar-Reeve. Um, his teams have won three national championships, tons of individual coaching accolades. His teams have uh, won numerous conference championships, lots of great stuff throughout his coaching career. And uh, he's obviously going to tell us about his wife, Amy, and his kids. Um, but we're really excited to have Coach Greg Tonigal on today. Coach, thanks for joining us here on the podcast. Hey, I'm excited to be here. I appreciate you having me and uh, excited to talk a little hoops and life and whatever else you got for us. Well, you know, you and I, we've had several conversations over the years, and this podcast normally falls within about an hour but I'm sure that you and I could probably sit here and talk hoops and life and stuff for, for a long time. But um, eventually we would we would lose some interest. But, Coach, I just really appreciate the way that you go about your business, uh, the authenticity with which you coach with, and we're going to talk more about that 
uh, here in a little bit, but just fill our listeners in on on your journey um, from being a high school player there at Laporte mm-hmm. to being a Division One player at Valpo, and then obviously uh, uh, getting into the coaching ranks, and then ultimately ending up there at Indiana Wesley. But Indiana, and I was, and I was your typical, uh, you know, Indiana Hooper, your Hoosier. I I grew up on a dairy farm. And I really, I really knew farming and basketball at a young age. That's all I ever knew. And, you know, I dreamed of, you know, playing basketball, you know, for the Hoosiers someday, as, as most kids do growing up in the state. I grew up idolizing Bob Knight and Gene Cady. And, you know, I, I was a kid when the Hoosier basketball magazine came out. I bought it and took it to school and, you know, probably pulled it out too many times during <laughs> math class and, and whatnot. But, man, I studied that thing. And I knew everybody around the state. Mm-hmm. I, I can re- recall a poster I had about some of your listeners that are my age might have had the same poster, but it it had a uh, a star for any Indian All-Star on an Indiana map mm-hmm. that, that high school had. And mm-hmm. it had an actual picture of Mr. Basketball. So, like, you know, like I live in Marion now. Well, they had multiple Mr. Basketballs. They won many state championships, and they had a lot of Indian All-Stars. And I saw Muncie, and, you know, they're – their history and obviously Indianapolis and you know mm-hmm. Larry Bird was on that poster. Mm-hmm. It was just one of those things that hung in my room and it really motivated me to be a great basketball player. And like I said, I grew up in a, a dairy farm and we had a uh, basketball court on the second level. Mm-hmm. And when we got done milking cows, the hired hands would, would sweep the floor and I'd be up there shooting, waiting on people, and we'd play barn ball. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was just a blast. It'd be the middle of winter. And We'd be in shorts and a t-shirt because the cows underneath had all that heat that would rise. I mean, usually there was hay in the loft, so it was mm-hmm. somewhat insulated. Those were just good old days of, of dreaming of, you know, making a state run. And I ended up at Laporte High School, as you mentioned, and uh, I don't know how many people know, but we're the Slicers, the mm-hmm. only Slicers in the entire state. It was named <laughs> after a meat, a meat packing company that apparently, like, started the school in, in the early 1900s. So now our listeners know why Laporte are called the Slicers. There you go. <laughs> and we had a, we had a special class. We grew up in middle school. There was like five or six of us, and uh, we uh, we loved the game of basketball. And we kind of got thrown into the fire our freshman year. Several of us made varsity. Mm-hmm. We went three and eight, three and eighteen. Mm-hmm. So not, nothing nothing to write home about. Nothing to be too excited about. But mm-hmm. we were taking our lumps. And I think Joe Otis, who was my coach at the time, knew it. And uh, he saw something down the road. Well, four years later, we're or three years later. I'm a junior. I had a brother, Ben, who was on the team. This is 1997. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the last single class state tournament. So that was back when in the end, it didn't matter if you were Bar Reeve or if you were Carmel. You were going to play in the same tournament. If you were good enough, you were going to match up with each other. Well, we made it to state that year, and mm-hmm. it, was, it was for for Laporte. It was it was quite the historical run. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, ESPN came to our house the week of the state title game, and they were doing a little uh, story on Indiana high school basketball and, uh, you know, the change that was coming. Because if, if you you, were, you would remember this, but, man, the state was up in arms. Oh, it was crazy. Yeah. You know, a lot of people didn't want it to happen. Mm-hmm. Some people did. Somehow it got voted through, and, you know, you would have thought there was a civil war going on in Indiana. <laughs> there almost was. <laughs> yeah. So we make this run down to state, and I remember it was, it was played at the Hoosier Dome, mm-hmm. uh, which was, was no longer there, but um, where the Colts were playing at the time. And we walk out, and uh, you, you've been to state, you know, as a kid, you look up in the stands, and 
they had flashed the attendance across the big screen and it was 28,000, like 400 people. I know that's crazy. And it blew my mind, you know, mm -hmm. and at the time it had only been eclipsed by Damon Bailey. It was like 34,000 that came to watch Damon Bailey play it back yeah. then. But people were bidding farewell in, in their own words, the Indiana high school basketball. And, and that was a great, that was a great state finals that year. Oh man. Well, don't remind me because we got beat on the last second <laughs> shot. The, yeah. uh, T.D. Jackson's Delta team. Yeah. T.D. Jackson's a great player. Delta was somewhat of a small school. You know, they mm -hmm. they ran through Anderson, I believe, in the regional, and Anderson was, you know, top five in the state. And yeah. Then Bloomington North ended up winning it with uh, Quest Delaney and Jabril Conte, and a really good class there. But to me, that was kind of the, the best times of my basketball career, you know, in mm -hmm. Indiana. And even going on and playing college, I don't think anything trumps Indiana high school basketball. Well, you know, you talk about how special, how special that um, state finals was there in '97, and you know that I, I can remember your game with Delta, and obviously the last second shot, which makes it amazing for a fan. And then the Bloomington North Kokomo game, the other semifinal game, Bloomington North had a lot of guys in foul trouble, and they trailed big time at halftime to Kokomo. And then they mm -hmm. came back and won, and then ultimately beat beat Delta that night. But like you said, that was a that was a special state finals and how fortunate you are to be a part of that because that was the last, what I consider to be the real state championship, not to take anything mm -hmm. away from any team that's won a state title since, but obviously it's the class era. Back then you alluded to the fact that it didn't matter if you were Bar Reeve or you were Carmel, you all played in the, st the same state tournament and, and that 97 tournament was special. And for me to be a part of that as a player and then obviously for you to be a huge part of it, in the state finals was extremely special. You know, you you talked about the Indiana All-Stars, and, you know, you ended up on the All-Star team. Just talk about how special that was, because I think that series has changed over the years. So talk about that, what that was like back in 97, 98. Yeah, I can, I can still recall it was 98, mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> springtime, and uh, I was waiting by the phone because I remember them saying they're going to choose the team, you know, on this weekend. And, mm hmm not knowing when that phone call was going to come. And that was pre-cell phone, by the way. So yeah. if you had one phone in the house, you all huddled around it. And I remember one of my brothers trying to get on the phone to call somebody. And I'm like, no, nobody's on this phone all day. <laughs> I need to hear it ringing. Yeah. And I got that call from Pat Aikman, who uh, was the director at the time. Uh -huh. and, you know, just said, congratulations, you're an Indian All-Star. And as excited as I was, I'm not sure I knew at the time what it really meant. Mm -hmm. That You know, that's a... Uh, that's an honor that goes with you for the rest of your life. Like recently we had our 15 year, I believe anniversary and, and just getting together with those guys and talking about that year and, you know, seeing where everybody went and played and for whatever reason, it's lost a little bit of that in the state. I'm not sure kids understand, you know, you've had kids pass up, you know, the opportunity to play, which I don't understand. I mean, you're in the state of Indiana. I don't, there shouldn't be anything that comes in the way of, of you making a commitment for that. Uh, and back then, it was a two-week commitment. You know, you came in for a week, you played one of the games, played another week, practice, played another game. They pretty much condensed it to like four days now, I think, to try to accommodate everybody's needs. But what a special honor, and it's something for the rest of your life you could say, I'm an Indian All-Star. Well, you know, you, you touched on this, and, and I think Mike Broughton, our current director does a does a phenomenal job and I think he really promotes the game well um, but it has just lost some of its luster and um, you know Southport did a tremendous job of hosting uh, I know the crowd in Indiana is always bigger than than Kentucky and I don't know if 
maybe it's not being promoted, the game's not being promoted that same way in Kentucky, but it has seemed to have lost a little bit of its luster. But like you talked about, not only was the state tournament special, but being an Indiana All-Star was extremely, extremely special back then. Coach, yeah, then, I, uh, oh, go ahead. Well, I was at the game this year, and it was pretty neat to be back in Southport, which is a pretty cool gymnasium. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know if Kentucky brought their JV team or what, but uh, Indiana sure looked special that night. Oh, and, you know, to that point is we, we had a lot of guys this year on the All-Star team. Like you said, there, there were some guys that passed up, which is disappointing. But we also had a lot of guys injured, and we still walked away with them. And, and <laughs> just, it, was, it was amazing. Our guys, that uh, was a special squad this year. But, Coach, then after high school and after this Indiana All-Star experience, then you were able to play Division One basketball, which obviously was, I'm sure, a dream of yours uh, growing up. And j- just tell us a little bit about your playing experience. I know you were able to go to the NCAA tournament. Um, every year you were at Valpo, correct? Well, that's a little, little bit of a tricky uh, question to answer. I was actually there for six years. I uh, had two medical red shirts. So okay. I ended up going to four – four NCAA tournaments of the six. Um, yeah, my, my career was, I was excited to go. It was right down the road. Uh, I wanted to play for, you know, a godly influence like Homer Drew. And so it made sense for me. And my freshman year got, got an opportunity to play and I started and was real excited about, you know, what potentially could be. Well, then the next summer I ended up tearing my ACL. And mm-hmm. It was a tough comeback. I really you know, it wasn't nine months, it wasn't even a year. I kept having setbacks. And I was pretty much out for about two and a half years, kind of on and off, and mm-hmm. never really recovered. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of during that moment where, you know, I was sitting on the bench watching the game from a different perspective. Really started to figure out that, you know, coaching might be something I could do. I mean, I didn't even go into college wanting to coach. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. In some ways, I was a little burned out of basketball. But uh, having, having that injury and sitting on the sidelines really forced me to to begin to analyze the game from a different perspective. And so I got that opportunity to coach. And, um, and you know, looking back, obviously I, I wouldn't trade that injury for anything. It didn't make sense in the moment. You know, it was confusing. It's hurtful. And, mm-hmm. You know, in some ways, yeah, it robbed me of my college career. But, man, it, it was a gift for me because I love what I'm doing now. I can't imagine doing anything else. It really set me up for it. Yeah. Well, the thing about that is, you know, I, I, that was a question I was going to ask is when did you know that you wanted to coach? And you talk about this adversity that you're going through there in, in college and, and how sitting there makes you analyze and, and look and think about the game in, in a different light. And you decided that you wanted to coach. And I know you're a man of faith, and we're going to talk about some of those things here in just a moment. But, I mean, what a God thing that, you know, he kind of put a setback in your life and it really – you know, hindered your college playing career, but it kind of sent you down this path that you've went down. And man, what a career you've made of it! And, and the Lord puts like an obstacle in our lives. You know, in the moment you wouldn't choose it, but in the aftermath you wouldn't trade it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, w- I wouldn't trade that period of my life. It, it formed me. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in those moments, and it's like I talk to my team a lot. You, you can turn inward when things don't go your way. You know, you got a choice. You can turn inward. You can, you can complain. You can sulk. Or you can get outside of yourself and you can, you can turn to others. You can do something to benefit other people. And, and it took me a while. It wasn't like immediately I figured that out. I mean, it, it took a, a while of, of being out and being in pain. And then I figured out, look, my teammates, they need me in this moment. I can begin to coach them. I can begin to mentor them. I can begin to disciple them. And as I begin to do that, like, 
something came alive inside of me. Like, you know, you kind of found that purpose. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. And I started to really enjoy that process. Coach started to kind of utilize me more. And then when I come back kind of later in my career, my, my, even my fifth and sixth year, I was kind of half player, half coach. Mm-hmm. Man, I was, those are some of my best years, uh, even though I wasn't playing at the highest level I'd ever played at. I never really felt good. Yeah. I felt like I found my purpose and I was enjoying what I was doing and having fun and just, you know, relating to the guys. And, and I, even at that time, you know, I didn't know I was going to go into college coaching at the time I was a education major and mm-hmm. was really thinking, you know, Indiana high school was where I was going to end up. And mm-hmm. uh, I remember interviewing at Valpo high school, getting ready to graduate. And I was thinking about, you know, that's maybe where I'm going to end up. Well, then I go back to Valpo and give it one more year with coach Drew and, mm-hmm. I think it was about a year later, end up at Indiana Wesleyan as a 24-year-old. I can't, I still can't believe they hired me at 24. But, you know, <laughs> I fooled them. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was what I was going to ask you. So you, you you finish your playing career, you five six years there because of the injury, and then you come back and you help Coach Drew as a director of basketball operations. What was that year like? My uh, fifth year, Homer Drew retired. Okay. Got Drew takes over. And okay. So, uh, we play that year, and we have a, we're really good that year. We win the league hands down, but then we get upset in our conference tournament. And you know, we were a one bid league, so we're mm-hmm. not going to the NCAA tournament. Everybody's disappointed. Mm-hmm. We end up playing Iowa in the NIT, and right after that, Scott gets hired at Baylor. And you know, at the time, people said he's crazy. Why is he going to Baylor? You know, they had just come off that murder oh, scandal. That, you know, Greg Dean is a good friend of mine. He's at Fountain Central, and. He and I, we were assistants together at Lagoti, and I can remember having a conversation with Greg, and we that was kind of about the same time that, that Tom Crean took over IU, and everybody was talking about how difficult of a job that, that Coach Crean was going to have to have in coming back from all the stuff that happened under the Samson era. And Greg made the great point. He said, that, that f- just – fails in comparison to what <laughs> Scott Drew has to do at Baylor. He's like, you know, people were getting murdered and buried in the desert. And and that's the type of stuff that was going on at that school. That, yeah, that's an amazing story in and of itself. But go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, that's good. Because, you know, Scott gets down there and they're they're not postseason eligible for like, you know, five years or something. And, mm-hmm. But if you know Scott Drew, there's, there's not a bigger optimist in the crowd. And for Scott could see stuff a lot of us couldn't. He could mm-hmm. see that, man, there's some potential down there. I mean, yeah. you fast forward down, you're like, Baylor won a national championship? Yeah. <laughs> At the time, they were saying, <laughs> Baylor's not going to win another Big 12 game, you yeah. know, let alone a national championship. But yeah. So Scott takes off there. Homer comes back out of retirement, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, he basically talks me into staying and says, hey, you know, why, why don't you jump into coaching here? Because I, I didn't know where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do, and mm-hmm. they had a director of basketball operations spot open so i jump in as the director of operations which basically means you do everything you know you're sweeping the floors and you're doing some recruiting in the office and you're sending letters out you're setting meals up and it is the it's the best job because you get to learn a little bit of everything and i'm single at the time and well that year uh, my younger brother happened to be at indiana westland Uh and he was in his sophomore year and he calls me and he's like, hey, you know, I'm hearing rumors that, you know, our coach, this may be his last year. You should consider this job. And I'm like, hey, Joel, you know, I'm 
I'm one year into coaching. I'm the director of operations. They're not going to hire me. He's like, oh, you know, they're looking for somebody who's young, somebody who's strong in their faith. You know, I, I think you'd have a shot. Mm-hmm. Well, I immediately drive down to Indiana Wesleyan. There was a, I believe it was a game. And it was the first game I'd seen of his because my season's always conflicted. Mm-hmm. And I hand the AD a resume and I just say, hey, I know you know a lot of people in, in this small college basketball circle and Christian schools. And, you know, keep my name in mind if you know of anybody, you know, not, not trying to overhint that, you know, I knew their job might be open. Well, four months later, their job opened up and uh, I decided to apply, but even thinking, man, it'll be a good experience if I can get an interview. You know, if I can just get an interview, that'll be good experience. Well, lo and behold, four months later, three months later, whenever it was, I'm, I'm a finalist for the job and they end up hiring me and I'm 24 years old. And honestly, when they hired me, I was like, you sure you guys want to do this? You know I mean? I talked a good game and I had no idea. I think if I really knew what I was going to do, I mean, I was passionate about my faith and I was passionate about the game of basketball and I figured let's give it a shot. And uh, that was 18 years ago. I mean, I'm headed into my 18th year. I can't imagine being at a a better place. I mean, this, this fits me. I love it. Mm-hmm. Family loves it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm blessed and I'm thankful that they took that risk on me. No, I've heard you say this before, um, that what you do at Indiana Wesleyan would be really hard to replicate at other schools because of the things that you do, not just with your team, but with other coaches outside of basketball. And a lot of that <clears> involves <throat> your faith. And w- would you kind of touch on that with our listeners about some of the things that you've been able to do and programs you've been able to start there at Indiana Wesleyan? Yeah, I think for me it started when I was in college. I, I ended up going on a mission trip to Haiti. And mm-hmm. If anybody's been to Haiti, it's, it's one of the poorest places that, that you can find in the Western Hemisphere. It's, mm-hmm. And it's a it's a dark place. And, and when I was over there, I just had this sense that maybe God was calling me into the ministry. And I, I didn't couldn't fully articulate it as a young six, you know, I was like eighteen at the time or nineteen. But I knew that like that was part of my calling. But I also loved basketball. Mm-hmm. And I was always wondering how those two might come together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd been a part of SCA. I'd been a part of um, Athletes in Action and other organizations. But when I became a coach at Indian Wesleyan, it was kind of a combination of those two. Like, how do I take my faith? And how do I apply it to the game that I love? Mm-hmm. And it took a while. You know, it was probably year three or four that the light bulb came on to me that I don't just coach basketball, I coach people. And once I figured out that I coached people, the game became more fun. I really began to to help my players realize their potential more. Mm -hmm. Um, And my teams began to, you know, see their potential more. And so really for me, there's just a principle that I believe in personally. I've got great conviction on it, and I try to live this out. But it's I believe that a player's maximum potential lies in their spiritual development. In other words, what I'll say to them is that for you to reach your full potential, you need to connect to God. And as you connect to God, I think you're going to find out who you are. You're going to find out your gifts and abilities. And even more so, you're going to be able to use those for other people. So really, I think coaching comes down to helping people realize their God-given gifts and then using those to benefit other people, getting outside themselves, not not turning inward. You know, to me, that's, that's a great definition of a team, right? Like get mm-hmm. a bunch of individuals who don't think about themselves but have a bigger – uh, plan and picture for their lives, use their abilities to help other people. And when it comes together, man, that 
that's fun coaching and that's exciting coaching. Absolutely. And you've also established some programs where you kind of mentor high school and, and other college coaches. Touch on that a little bit, Coach. Yeah, I mean, I think what's exciting is when you meet other people who share similar passions. And there's people all over the state, and you're one of them. You know, when I, when I, when I walk away from conversation with you, I'm energized. You know, there's certain people that they drain you. You try to avoid. You're like, man, I, I don't have time for that conversation because it's going to drain me. Then there's people you're like, and I'm fired up to be a better husband. I'm fired up to be a better coach, a better mm-hmm. teacher, because that person motivates me. Well, we started having these conversations with other coaches who have similar passions for their faith. They love Jesus. They also love kids. Mm-hmm. We said, man, every time we talk, there's like new ideas, right? There's, yeah. there's no, nobody, when you get into coaching or, or really any job, you don't, you don't become a parent. Somebody hands you the, the playbook and this, you know, this is how you do it. It's like, you, <laughs> you kind of learn as you go. Yeah. And, uh, it's the same way, I think, in, in discipleship-based coaching. You, you learn as you go. So basically, we formed a, a coalition we call Greater. Because as we, as we began to talk to people and coaches, it was like, man, there's, there's something greater than just winning. There's something greater than just making money. There's something greater than just individual accolades. It's, it's connecting with the Lord and applying our faith to our jobs in and, and just everyday practical ways. So one summer, we just gathered a bunch of coaches we do college coaches in the, in the, uh, in August, usually high school coaches in the fall. And we just spend uh, a day to a day and a half just talking about applying our faith in, in everyday context. Like mm-hmm. how does, how does your faith, uh, you know, impact the practice? How does it impact the game? And mm-hmm. man, I'll tell you what, I learned just as much, you know, from the coaches that come as, as I think they're learning from me. And every year it kind of takes a new route it's been pretty exciting. And if, if people want to find more information, we we have a website we set up. It's iwuhoops.net. And if you go to that page, you'll you'll see a greater page on it. And there's videos and there's links. And usually there's a schedule for, uh, you know, when the upcoming events are. Okay. So, again, that's, that's iwuhoops.net? Correct. Okay. And if you go there, then there's the greater link. But like you said, there's there's certain people in this world that you talk to and you just get energized about different things and you get motivated to be better. And, and you're definitely one of them. And I, I thank you for the compliments about myself. But you're, you're right. You know, when you surround yourself with like-minded people, whether they're people of faith or they're coaches that, that you like to talk about with strategy, you just get energized. And I think that that's one of the biggest things – um, for coaches, that that's a challenge is to energize players. Um, what are some of the ways that you and your staff try to maybe go just beyond basketball, beyond beyond faith, um, with some of the stuff you do with your team that that makes the Indiana Wesleyan men's basketball team a little bit different? Well, you know, going back to that principle that I really believe that, like your greatest potential lies in your spiritual development, which for me, then the starting place for my relationship with you as your coach is to be, how do I help you grow in your faith? Mm-hmm. How do I help you connect, uh, you know, and see where God is working, help, help you identify that. Cause I think there's times in my own life, I can't identify that. You know, yeah. there's times where I can't, I, I can't hear what God's saying or I can't see it. I, I'm too, I'm too down in the dump. I'm too frustrated. And then somebody comes along and says, Hey Greg, I, I've seen this in you. And I'm like blown away. 
I want to be that for somebody else in that moment. And so mm-hmm. sometimes it's just as simple as pointing that out. Sometimes it's pointing them in a new direction. Sometimes guys just need to be challenged. You know, I think what's disappointing to me is sometimes the world, I think, has too low expectations for young men. Mm-hmm. You know, like playing video games. We just think, you know, if they just play video games and, and go about their business, as long as they stay out of jail, they're good. And I'm like, man. I want to raise my sons, my own boys, to, to conquer this world, to, to do great things, to take risks, to be fearless, to have the opportunity to fail, as long as they're trying for something that's great, something that's not just focused in on themselves. Mm-hmm. And so taking that, because that's hard to do in coaching, because I think what happens in coaching is there's a lot of pressure on each of us to win. We then turn and apply that pressure, pressure to our players. We become hyper-focused on basketball. And we kind of lose the whole point in this coaching thing, which is mm-hmm. to develop relationships, to love these kids. There's enough pressure on them. They don't need any more from us. And they also probably don't need to be thinking about basketball 24 hours a day. You know, they, A lot of them go home broken homes. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have their own brokenness. A lot of them, you know, as we're finding out now with mental illness, are dealing with far deeper and more serious issues than we know. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, you just think about it. If all these statistics on mental illness are true, you know, should we be adding another layer of ripping a kid to shreds in practice and putting him down? Mm-hmm. And then he goes home and, you know, it's just a cycle. So oh, yeah. To break that cycle and just say the starting point for our relationship is I want to help connect you with God and I want to help deepen your faith. Because the cool part is I really do believe that I think he becomes a better basketball player afterwards. You know, some people have said, oh, that's crazy. And I'm like, no, really, if a person is more joyful, more happy, I think he makes more shots. Mm-hmm. doesn't guarantee that every shot's going in, but I think he's a better basketball player. I think if a player has more peace in his life, I think he's going to be more focused in my film sessions. I think if a player you know, has more confidence in who he is and his identity, he's not going to compare himself to his teammates, and I'm going to deal with far less issues of team jealousy and selfishness because of that. So I really do think it influences every single area of a player's life. Well, and, and I think you make a great point that just because you root yourself in faith doesn't mean that you don't have personal problems. Just because you root yourself in faith and your relationship with Jesus Christ doesn't mean uh, that when you, you put that out there with your team and you try to develop their relationships with Christ, that you're not going to have issues on your team. As a matter of fact, you may actually have more issues. But th- <laughs> there's a way to deal with those issues now that is a faith-based um you know, a faith-based foundation. And I really like that you pointed that out. The other thing that I that I like that you pointed out, and I think this is really important for young coaches because I think young coaches put a lot of pressure on themselves to succeed, especially early in their coaching career. One of the things I've learned over the years is that to get your teams to succeed, you have to place as little pressure on them as possible because, like you said, there's already enough pressure on them. They know they're supposed to win. You know, at Indiana Wesleyan, you guys compete in one of the toughest conferences in the country regardless of level of college basketball there in the Crossroads Conference. So the guys that come in, they know the expectation. They know that you guys have won some national championships. And so our job as coaches, I think, is to take as much pressure off of them as possible. And that's that's really difficult to do, but it's so important mm-hmm. to get to get good play out of your players and to get them to play at their highest level, you got to take that pressure off of them, like you said. 100%. And I'll add this. I think the way to go about that is to take fear out of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, we, 
we grew up in an era where fear was the motivator. Yes. You use fear to get the most out of your players, or so you thought. And, mm-hmm. I, and I just think we're in a different era with kids and, and fear. I think it's the dominating motion of our country, of our time right now. And fear is no longer the great motivator. It's the great paralyzer. Mm-hmm. Like you said, at the free throw line, and you allow fear in your head of missing a shot. Don't leave it short. Don't leave it short. Don't leave it short. What are you going to do nine times out of ten? Self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> you're going to leave it short. You know? yeah. and you're, yeah. You've made that shot a hundred times. It's still 15 feet. You're still 10 feet high. Uh-huh. But fear caused you to miss that shot. Absolutely. And so I think as coaches, if we start paying attention, that's one of the things we do through that grader. We talk a lot about how do we remove fear from the game? Mm-hmm. To me, that's discipleship. You know, that's what Jesus did. I think one of the things I learned early on, you take the things Jesus talked about and you package them into topics. Mm-hmm. He talked about the topic of fear more than any other topic. Mm-hmm. You know, he talked about do not fear, be of courage, do not worry. Why? Because I think he knew that we'll never reach our potential until we get rid of fear. Well, every coach wants their player to reach their potential. So every coach should pay attention to fear and how they can rid their programs and their coaching philosophies of it. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. One of my favorite memories of all time was a, a big game that's happened since I've been here at Bari, but a, a kid went to the free throw line late in the game. And, you know, if he doesn't make the free throws, we probably don't win the game. There's still a little bit of time on the clock, but um, he was not a great free throw shooter, but he made the first, and, and the other team had called timeout and was trying to ice him a little bit. And, um, you know, and I, I just told him, going back onto the floor, I grabbed him and I said, listen, I said, I'm going to be really honest with you. I don't care if you make this free throw or not. I said, I just want you to know that make or miss, I still love you. And Mm -hmm. I don't pretend to be the world's greatest coach, but I'll never forget the text message I got from that kid that night. He made the free throw. We went on to win the game. And just the text message that he sent me about how much that meant to him that I grabbed him. And he goes, and and he, you know, again, I get a little choked up when I think about that situation Mm -hmm. because he told me, he goes, I, I knew that you weren't just BSing me, Coach. He said, I, I knew that whether I made that or not, whether we won the game or not, it was insignificant to you. And, you know, you, you were just proud of me. You were going to love me no matter what. And he said, you took all the pressure off in that situation. And like you said, we grew up in an era where a lot of times fear was the, the big motivator. And when we, when we talk about fear, Coach, one of my fears, I've got three kids of my own. And one of my fears is that I would walk in the door and I would have six of them. How in the world do you do? How in the world do you do what you do um, with an amazing wife there at home? I know she's she's big um, as far as helping you out with everything that you do. Your wife Amy, but how do you manage all this with six kids, Coach? Well, the only way to survive is to refer to them as tax write-offs. So if you think about that, I got six tax write-offs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, over the pandemic, I had six stimulus yeah. checks. So that, that was it. But if that wears off, yeah, I'm about ready to drive myself nuts. And, you know, God bless my wife. Like, she's an amazing person. Oh, my. Um, so, funny story if you got time for it. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we, we do. My wife and I had two boys, two girls, uh-huh. and, you know. That was pretty good. We thought, oh, what a great balance. Life's pretty good. Uh, you know, we're all set. And I was kind of toying around, like, gosh, I kind of want another boy because I was playing uh, travel uh, baseball with my son. And uh-huh. uh, we were having a blast. Well, my wife walked in one day, and she's like, I think I'm pregnant. I'm like, oh, this is the boy. This is going to be number five. <laughs> 
she comes back, you know, whatever, six weeks later with an ultrasound, sets it down, and it says heartbeat one, heartbeat two. Oh, and wow. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Yeah. And I go, why did the doctor measure the heartbeat twice? And like angry, she looked at me and she goes, no, you idiot, look at it again. And all of a sudden I go, oh, no, there's two of them. <laughs> she's like, yes, there's two. And she's not happy about this. At this time. I can imagine. Number five. Six. Well, weeks pass. We go back to the doctor and we find out we're having twin girls. Uh-huh. And now my dream of one boy has turned into twin girls. Yeah. So now I've got four girls. And it, we always joked about, you know, coaches somehow end up. Boys coaches often end up with, with girl, a lot of girls. Well, I end up with four girls on top of two boys. And I don't think there's ever been a quiet day in our house. And I don't think we've ever felt like we've done a great job. But I don't think we'd trade it for anything. Oh, and my. As, as I keep being told by older parents, you know, this time flies. Oh, it does. My oldest boy's already in eighth grade, and I'm already like, man, he's got five more years, and then he's done. You yeah. know, my daughter's raising a, kids is – Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, my daughter's a sophomore in college, and I just don't uh, know where where time went, and it, it does fly. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Going on with the family thing, you know – I struggle. This this is one of the things that I struggle with in my faith um, is being and, and making sure that I'm present as a husband, present as a father. Um, what are just some tips that you can give to coaches to make sure that the main thing is the main thing, that faith is at the top, that family is right there below that, and that we don't allow basketball to become the idol in our lives and, and rule everything that we're doing? Yeah, that's a good question because I think it's something I struggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, and not so much it's the basketball side. It's, it's that I take home my stress. I take home my pressure. And, and what I'm trying to get better at is to be present. When I walk through that door, it doesn't matter the recruiting call I had or the bad practice that I went through. My job is to love that family and disciple that family. And, and truly, if I can't do that well, I should not be coaching basketball. Mm-hmm. And I think so many people do the reverse pour everything they can into having a job and being successful. And then maybe they do a good job at home. And I, I want to be really good at home. Mm-hmm. I want to be a great discipler at home. I want to spend time with my kids. Like this, it's funny, this morning, or last night, my son, he's a, we got two boys, eighth grader and a sixth grader. Say, hey, mm-hmm. Dad, you wake me up at 5.30 a.m. <laughs> I want to shoot tomorrow morning. It's like, well, how do you tell your boy no? You yeah, know? absolutely. And I said, yeah. I'll get up at 5.30, but we're going to get in the Word first. He goes, okay. So we mm-hmm. get up, we read a verse, we pray together. You know, it's probably a three-minute devotion. Mm-hmm. But you know what? It's probably the best three minutes that I've spent all day. And yeah. it's probably the most productive. And he's learning a lesson, and it's a way that I can bond with him. And, you know, I just I just try to do something like that every single day with six kids. And you're not always going to hit them all, but, mm-hmm. you know, I think if, as long as my priority – you know, we talk a lot about iron throwing around there. God first, other second, self third. And I really want a home where the kids someday say, God was always first in our home. It didn't matter what we did, mm-hmm. God was first. And, and that's something I hope they take into their own homes and professions someday. Well, and I think the other thing that I have to remind myself about is that there was only one man that ever walked this face, of, walked the face of the earth that was perfect, and, and that mm-hmm. was Jesus Christ. And so we're going to fail. We're going to fail as fathers. We're going to fail as husbands. We're going to fail as coaches. But the big thing is to not beat yourself up. And like you said, you know, you may not read the Bible every single day with your kids, 
But if you're doing that most of the time and you're making that effort, your kids are going to see that that's a priority in your life. And, again, that's just part of being an authentic faith-based coach like you are. Well, Coach, you know, we're going to kind of go back to the basketball side of things. You know, you're 24-year-old 24 head coach there at Indiana Wesleyan, and I'm sure that you would have never believed that you would have had the success that you've had over the 18 years that as coach there as you've had and win three national championships. But if you could just pick out one or two things, and I know that's really hard to do when you've coached as long as you have, but just one or two things that you've accomplished with your team or just special moments over the years that, that just really stand out, what would they be? Well, one, one of them, and I'm thinking about this because we uh, leave this Tuesday to go to the Dominican Republic on a team mission trip, and it's something we try to do every other year. And it's just a unique experience to go to a foreign country, a really poor place, and just serve and give of yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, that, it's that week where I see – just transformation across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of it's just the removal of American life. You know, our guys are somewhat limited to their phones. They're taken out of their daily rhythms. They're taken out of the comforts of life. It's kind of all that stripped for one week. And it's just like, who, it's that, it's that period where you can ask them, who are you? Mm-hmm. And they have to think about it. They have to quiet themselves, you know, and really, what do you want in life? And when you look around and you, you're not in your, your, your comfort of American lifestyle, you begin to think differently and act differently. And I just see over and over the transformations that take place. And I'm looking forward to going. I, I need it. It's often a reset for me. It really compels me into uh, into season. Mm-hmm. I would say the second thing would be when the, when the concept of fearless came into our program, it was 2014. And just what that did across the board, uh, it made coaching more enjoyable for me. Mm-hmm. But then I've seen it like play out in, in players' lives. One specifically was one of the guys who led us to the national championship that year who didn't come from a home that he had a positive father. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of the moment where he was going to go one of two ways to see what God did that year through him. And now to see him as a husband uh, and what he's doing, and he's now in coaching. Uh, it's It's one of those things, you know, like you talked about with that one player, it'll always be in the back of your head and your mind, that conversation you had. You always remember that player. and it, It's that paycheck sometimes when you and I wonder, why are we in coaching? You know, we're not, we're not becoming rich. We're certainly not becoming famous. And then you go, oh, yeah, because of that kid. You know, that's why absolutely. I'm in coaching. And yeah. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, those, those moments that you can think back to. And, you know, it, it's just great to hear you say this because, you know, you could have talked about the 14 national champions, the, the 16, the 18. You could have talked about winning the league, the conference the first time. But the two things you talked about were taking your kids on a mission trip to use basketball as a way to give back to others. And then, you know, a moment with, with a guy, like you said, that was on a fence. And, you know, a lot of times people look at, at coaches and think, man, it's all about the wins and losses. And there are some that, that it is all about the wins and losses. But, man, those opportunities to change lives are really, to me, what makes coaching really enjoyable. Coach, one of the guys – I got to ask you about this guy. One of the guys you've had the fortune to coach is a guy named Kyle Mangus, two-time NAI National Player of the Year, small college basketball player of the year. What was it like coaching a guy like that? Well, I didn't have to coach too much. I can, <laughs> I can tell you that. I mean, yeah. what made Kyle so special was 
he just knew how to play basketball. And he was always one step ahead of the competition. And to be honest, he was always one step ahead of his coaches. Um, yeah. I, I knew he was going to be good when he came in, but I, I had no idea he was going to be that good. You know, a kid averaged 30 points a game senior year, 60% from the field. Like, that's unheard of. Usually if you're scoring 30, you know, you're shooting a lower percentage. I still think Kyle belongs in the NBA. He's had a lot of tryouts. He's had a lot of interest. You know, he just signed today in Lithuania, even though a lot of NBA teams were considering him for the G League. But just – and one of the greatest kids you'll ever meet. I mean, if there's a ratio of talent to humility, you know, Kyle set the record because he just walked very humbly. He cared about other people. Never did he ever take a playoff. Never was there an issue with him showboat. I mean, he'd give you 40 in a game and then and tap you on the back, tell you thanks for playing defense, and he meant it. You know, like he never uh, showboated or was cocky or was arrogant. Uh, just just once in a lifetime, once in a generation kid that I'll, that I'll ever have the opportunity to coach. Well, and, and I don't know Kyle personally, but the stories that I hear – you know, guys that have played against him, guys that have coached against him, and just the things that they talk about, you know, you hit the nail on the head with just how he would just go play the game and he didn't showboat. You know, it was just it was just part of what he did. It was in his DNA. And um, I, I have no doubt that a guy of that caliber at some point in time is going to break his way uh, into the NBA. Coach, um, you know, one of the things that, that I wanted to touch on here is your relationship with high school coaches. You know, you've already talked about the greater program, but you at Indiana Wesleyan host the Super Hoops Camp every summer. And that is just one of the many ways that you connect with high school coaches. But tell us why that's so important that you make those connections with coaches in the summer and, and through your recruiting. Well, I mean, as you know, we, we live in a state with the best coaching that I think there is in the country. If you, if you get a, an Indiana kid, you're getting a kid that's been taught, you know, at an early age. He understands the game. You know, and that's a credit to our association. And so, you know, we've, we've been able to form, I think, really, really rich and deep relationships with the coaches across our state. So it's not just happening when we're recruiting a kid, mm -hmm. but it's happening through these greater retreats that we talked about. It's happening through our team camp. And, and Super Hoops energizes me. You know, there's just something special when you get 120 uh, teams in our gym. We're about to kick off a weekend of playing 600 and some games, and you can just feel the energy in the air. It's summertime. And what, what impresses me is all these varsity coaches, coaching freshmen, JV, and varsity, uh -huh. you know, putting putting the time in to develop these programs. It's It speaks to, like, this state and how serious coaches take it in this state and and to be a part of that you know I, I want to be just in the middle of it all and I think you know especially the camp season allows me to do that yeah it's a, it's an awesome time and I know for coaches uh summer camps are great because you, you know there's there's not a lot of pressure and you really just have an opportunity to be around a multitude of other coaches and to be around great people like yourself and I just enjoy summer camp, and I've always heard great things about Super Hoops. And um, down the road, I, I look forward to getting our team back there at some point in time. Well, Coach, um, yeah. one one last thing. Oh, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, Barita's taking all the trophies every year. You know, they come <laughs> in here and win every pool. And then someday we'd love to have you guys back for it. We we. By the way, the side note here with the Bar Reach is they taught me about noodles. This was like 12 <laughs> years ago. Yeah. 
they were talking about it. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? And they said, talk about catching these catfish down in Southern Union. And I got a kick out of it. So quickly they become one of, they became one of my favorite teams. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know uh, Addison Weigler and all those guys that were on the 2015 <laughs> team, that was a big thing that, that they love to do and still enjoy doing. And we have a lot of our kids here, here at Bari that still go out and they'll, they'll noodle at night. <laughs> but uh, great pastime. You know, you got to find, great things to do uh, to keep yourself out of trouble here in Montgomery, Indiana. But uh, coach, the last thing I'm going to ask you before the speed round is I noticed that you are currently pursuing your doctorate. What, what is that in? So my doctorate is at uh, Wesley seminary here at Indian Wesleyan, and it'll be in uh, transformational leadership. Okay. So transformational leadership and, you know, again, I got to ask you, how do you balance that with, you know, pursuing a doctorate and coaching basketball and, and being a family man? Um, how long is that program going to take you to finish up? Well, there's many nights where I've questioned, you know, my sanity <laughs> in doing it, but <clears throat> I am currently about one year from being done. I'm, I'm in the middle of my final project. Uh, uh-huh. And I'll tell you what, though, the, the folks at Indiana Wesleyan, their seminary, I jumped in seminary about six years ago. Yeah. They had to do this master's program prior. They basically allowed me to take all my assignments and rewrite them in the in the context of being a coach. Mm-hmm. And when I when I said earlier, like I I've realized I don't coach basketball, I coach people. I'm I'm able to take all these things I'm learning, these theories and theology and God's word, and apply it to coaching. Mm-hmm. And it's just made me a better coach. And it's given me so many more resources and things and. I didn't get into it thinking I was going to get a doctorate, but you know, now that I do, it's just letters to the end of your name, but the experience and I think the way I can see and approach coaching now has changed dramatically, and I'm very thankful for the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, I also wanted to ask you um, about your league, and I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about your league, the Crossroads League. Just talk about how special that league is, some of the great coaches, some of the some of the players that are coming back this year. It's a, it is it is the Big Ten of the NAIA um, plus the ACC plus the Big East. It, it, is, it is all of that and more. Just talk about your league a little bit. Yeah, it's a fantastic league uh, from top to bottom. You know, there's eight Indiana schools. There's one Michigan school, one Ohio school. If you're competing in the crossroads for a championship, you're in the hunt for a national championship. And mm-hmm. last year we had five different teams in the top 20. We had three different teams in the top 10. Um, and really kind of, it kind of rotates, you know, that there's not a top and there's not a bottom, mm-hmm. you know, next year, Marion's going to be really good. They're, they're really talented. Grace returns everybody. They were really good, and really talented last year. St. Francis is always a contender. And I'm sure I'm leaving off somebody, but it's, and, and the cool thing is we're the, for college league, the proximity allows there to be big fans and fans travel. So, you know, we go down to Marion and play in front of a big crowd. And Grace would come to our place and play in front of a big crowd. And it truly is some of the best small college basketball in the entire country. Like like you said, that's one of the things that really impresses me about your league is the attendance and, and the fan base. Which makes it fun. You know, I, I had an opportunity to go to a bar read game years ago. And, and I wanted to go down there for the environment. And you get down there and you sit in one of those gyms and it fills up early and you, there's the anticipation, there's the competition. 
as a kid, that's what you want. You know, I, I played Division One basketball, and there was many places I went to. Place that 10,000, and there was 100 people there. Uh-huh. It's like, I'd rather be in a gym like ours. See, 2,000, and there's 2,100 there. There's people <laughs> yeah. standing, you know, filling yeah. the place up. Yeah. Those are the types of environments as a player that you're looking for, and I think that's what's made one of the things that uh, has made your league as special as it is. So, Coach, what we do here to finish up is we have a little bit of a speed round, so I'm going to ask you some questions and just kind of have you fire off um, at the hip or off the hip um, with with your answers as quick as possible. So if I'm going to give you tickets to any venue uh, or to watch any professional sports team or any artist, who are you going to go see? I'm going to a rodeo. Going to a rodeo. Okay. That's, that may be the most unique answer that I've ever got on this podcast, but it's a good one. It's a good one. So I, I, I guess, love rodeos. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to, I don't want to deviate because the kids will kick me for, for deviating from the speed round. But are you a fan of the, uh, the show Yellowstone then? Oh, huge fan. Haven't, <laughs> haven't missed once. My wife's favorite show also. Okay, that's good. My wife and I, actually, you know, my friend Mike DeCourcy, who's in charge of the media class, who runs this podcast, he's the one that kind of turned me on to the show. So I'm a big fan <laughs> of Yellowstone myself. Okay. Let me ask you real quick then. Casey or Rip, who's your guy? Oh, I'm a Casey guy. Okay, okay. I'm a Casey guy. So, uh, Marion, Indiana. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in Marion for the weekend. Where do I need to take my wife to eat? Oh, man. We don't have a lot of places. But there's a new seafood place downtown Marion called Parker's Seafood. You can get you can get a shrimp or crab boil, and it's in a bag. It's worth your trip. Oh wow! Oh wow! And what's the name of that restaurant again? Parker's Seafood. Parker's Seafood, and you get a get a good boil there. All right. Uh, so we already talked about how you're a big fan of Yellowstone. That was one of our that was one of our uh, questions. Um, as far as motivation. Daily motivation. Give me a good book, a good podcast, a good devotional uh, that you go to every day to get to get a little bit of motivation. You know, I, I'm I'm just simply getting in the Word, guys. So I get in the, the Word of God and mm-hmm. I try to figure out how that applies to my life. And uh, and it's really talking to the people that, that helps me figure that out. Mm-hmm. Along those lines, do you have a favorite a favorite Bible verse that you that you turn to a lot? Well, I got. I got a tattoo, uh, and it's Galatians 2.20, and I actually got it as I was going through all that stuff in college with my knee. And mm-hmm. it's, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. That is a good one. Um, favorite thing to do with your kids? Well, my, my oldest boy and I were bow hunters, and uh, he said, you can, you can go spend a couple hours, put me in the woods, put me with my son put me up in a tree stand and I'm in my happy place. Talk, talk about a stress reliever. That's one right there. Uh, mm-hmm. f- least favorite thing that Amy has you do around the house. Oh man. Uh, she, she's listening to this. She's going to not be happy with me. But, <laughs> I'm not uh, trying to get you in trouble. <laughs> I hate painting. I just absolutely hate painting. She's always wanting me to touch things up. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's not one of my high priorities either. We were fortunate when we moved into our house. We have a we had a crew of Amish ladies that came in and painted our entire house. And oh, you nice. talk about money that was well spent. That was that was definitely <laughs> definitely well spent. Last question for you. Favorite college coach. I know you've got a great relationship with Scott Drew, but you also uh, have a lot of 
great contacts, whether they be uh, Rex Walters there at Wake Forest, Coach Painter at Purdue. Who, who is the guy that you like to watch his team play when you have an opportunity to go watch them practice? You like to watch them practice. Who's, who's that guy for you? Man, you know, I don't know Bill Self personally, mm-hmm. but I like the toughness of his teams. I like the grit. I like the consistency. So I, I do like to watch Kansas. So. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Bill Self fan as well. You know, going back to that national championship game, my son, my oldest son, um, he went to bed at halftime. Uh, and, <laughs> and he told me, he said, this game's over. And I said, bud, you better not count Kansas out. Because I said, all they've got to do, they can guard – well enough that all they've got to do is make a little bit of a run and they're going to make they're going to make this game competitive and I woke him up the next morning and I'm like you got to go back and watch that second half it was a clinic on both ends it was a clinic in transition um yeah I'm a big fan of coach self well coach um our, our time is up here today on the podcast again like I said at the beginning I could sit and talk hoops and life and and faith with you all day but on behalf of the uh, Bari Media Class and myself, thank you for being on our podcast and best of luck to you and your team this year. And uh, we talked about how tough the crossroads is, but I can't see you guys not being in the hunt at the end of the year. So best of luck to you guys. Hey, thank you. And you guys as well. You know, we'll be following. Absolutely. Coach, I uh, hope to run into you sooner than later. And until then, stay blessed, okay? Thank you. Hey, thanks a lot. Okay, thank you to Coach Tonegal for joining us on the podcast this week. This is Coach Thompson signing off. Again, appreciate the Bari Media class for all their help in editing the podcast. Join us next week as we talk to Coach Jim Shannon, the head coach in New Albany. Looking forward to that. And until next week, keep checking it from the cheap seats.